I need a JCD. Who's going to be my JCD today? Hit it. Hit it. Guys show is brought to you by Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash bookguys and get a free book just for signing up for a free trial. I think I nailed it, boys, without the tablet. I haven't done that with the keyboard in a while. because Our theme is actually two parts, right? There's the, the first part, and then I do, I do the uh, intro, whatever advertiser we have. And then I, I nail the number three key. I think we were on a, a good start. Good start today. You are the man. <laughs> hey, guys, Merry Christmas and holiday season and all that to you. Thank you. Thank you. This episode will probably come out closer to Christmas. Uh, we're gonna, not going to do any uh, book news today. We're keeping it casual, unrehearsed as always. But I think we're just going to talk about what's been on our Kindles, tablets, Audible devices, Androids, iPhones, iPads, because we haven't talked in a while. I know it's mostly my fault, technically speaking. <laughs> but we'll just agree. I mean, we'll agree that that's true. Yes. I mean, don't don't and and don't take this the wrong way, fellows. But it's great to be doing a show and not having to be looking at you. <laughs> hey now. Hey I now. mean that in the night. Hey now. This is way possible. <laughs> if I could have found, it, here we go. I'll give you that much anyways. <laughs> I, 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 what I do, guys, by the way, uh, when I prepare for the show is um, my Audible app on my Android uh, device, my phone, which I listen to about 10 hours a day. That's why, folks, I can listen to a lot of books and, and consume a lot of books. So what I do is um, on the device itself, I don't delete an audiobook off my phone until we've discussed it on the Book Guys show. And I have now 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11... Eleven and a half, because one I'm halfway through. But I know one that we've all listened to, uh, Professor Allen, a couple years ago, myself just last week or week before, uh, was in this genre of science fiction. If I can find the thing, <laughs> there it is. Fiction. Rendezvous with Rama. And this idea was Sir Jimmy's for us to do all this. So tell us a bit about it. It's a classic. It's an Arthur C. Clarke. Well, yeah, by the way, yeah, I'm Sir Jimmy here in uh, Summerfield, North Carolina. Great to be back on the show. It's minus one Celsius in Toronto. I don't know how hot it is in North Carolina, but. In Smoke City? It's about 60 (laughs) 60 Fahrenheit. The big smoke. The big smoke, buddy. The big smoke. Okay. Uh, I don't know. It, it was it was tolerable today. I'll put it that that way. It's very right. tolerable. All right. If you were in the sun, you were golden. I gotta say, Jimmy, great great pick. Uh, I love old sci fi, fifties, sixties stuff, even forties, thirties. But I had never read Rendezvous with Rama. That was a lot I of fun. Say, I, I read this book and continued through the series up until the point where. Um, 
uh, Arthur C. Clarke was doing books with a guy. His name was Gentry Lee. Um, you know, this series progresses on. I think this first book here is set in. You know, it was it was published in nineteen mid seventies, like seventy five. You know, yep. when I was like two. Um, and I just just googled it here a little bit. Um, apparently, back in two thousand eight, David Fincher of uh, the Glorious Fight Club fame had. Uh, Spoken about. Uh, you just broke the first rule of freaking Fight Club, dude. Come on. Oh, that's <laughs> right. I hate that. He was talking about directing this movie based on this book, and uh, at that time he stated, "It's like uh, this. This movie can never be made." Sort of like, uh, I guess they thought Ender's Game could never be made. Right. But uh, there's actually a Facebook. Page. And, and sorry, 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 Sir Jimmy. Ender's Game has still not been translated to the big screen properly. No. I agree, and it, and it only made sixty million yeah. bucks, which kind of tells you, get the audio book, right? The audio drama. <laughs> you know, Jackass, uh, Bad Grandpa made a hundred million, right? <laughs> so you know, there's no accounting for taste. No, never. But, yeah, this this book is just kind of crazy. It's uh, you know, set in a not too far future, and you know, astronomers are looking up and they see something. And then they send a spaceship out to check it out. It's just sort of something weird, and it's headed towards our solar system. And uh, they they redirect some spaceship that goes out and lands on this big giant Tootsie Roll, yep. the way I imagined it. <laughs> and um, but they find they find a door, and they you know tentatively go into this place, and it's like it's like a it's like a I don't know. It's there's this. You, there's a giant staircase that takes you from the outer edge of the thing down to the center, and uh, there's there's like a world there with a a big ocean or a lake, and and this Tootsie Roll I guess is like sixty miles long. Right, you know, it's, it's, it's like, like a this world. huge thing or kilometers, whatever they were using. But this thing is on a massive scale. There's like ten thousand stairs that these people have to go down just to get to the ground level of this world, and you know there's uh, there's a giant lake and islands and. You know, there's, I guess, I don't know about spoilers here, but they do encounter some type of representation of intelligence, at the very least. There, there are things going on in this place, and it... it uh, we'll, hit, we'll hit the spoiler alert, just in case. It won, yes. so it won numerous awards in the early 70s. I think we're safe from spoilers. Okay, yeah. okay all right. I'll shut that off then. Shutting well, off the know, cloister uh, bell there, now. There's the introduction, Alan. Uh, <laughs> hit it. Take it. I, I, mean, I just thought it was sort of a great first contact sort of yes. story in a real hard sci-fi setting. And, and a lot of sci-fi in the last, I don't know, 30 or 40 years, I don't know, it just ha- hasn't, has, has almost boarded into fantasy sometimes. Well, one and of I the like things this, uh, uh, sort professor? of these classic Arthur C. Clarke, Ray Bradbury, Isaac Asimov, you know, writing this just classic style, hard SF, you know, space, uh, spacefaring yeah. type of story. And it's it's like a fundamental, first, like uh, Sir Jimmy said, a first contact story. And one of the things I love about this story is uh, one of the things I love about good sci-fi is that it leaves a lot to the imagination. Um, they don't sit down and have like one guy talk to the other guy and explain the whole thing. 
they leave us so much to your imagination as far as what this thing is. Uh, even I mean, this is not a spoiler. Even at the end of the book, you're sitting there going, "Hmm, I think it could be this, or it could be that, or it could be that, or the other thing," and it leaves so much up to your imagination. And that's what good sci-fi does. It leaves so much of the story up to your own. Uh, we call it head canon, so that you can, you know. Imagine that's you know the whole thing about good sci-fi is it sparks your imagination. It lets you decide what you think what happened, and uh, that's the you know the best thing about good Doctor Who episodes. Which Professor Allen, we will get into the day of the Doctor later. Well, also what I liked about this also is that again, sort of like this classic sci-fi, it takes place on Earth. You know, it's it's Earth-centric. Right. Yeah, it's our solar system, and yeah. I think that just puts a you know a different. Uh, a different spin on events than if it's, you know, uh, in a, a galaxy far away, yeah. universe a million light years away, right? Or and, a I million mean, years in the future. You I, guys I, tell I, me I really if I'm like wrong. That yeah, but it was almost like this spaceship, this giant Tootsie Roll, was was shot into the direction of our solar system to come very close to our sun and. Seemingly millions of years ago, right? And these people are inside. Once the, once they break into this thing, and um, it gets closer to the sun, the the heat of the sun starts these processes happening inside of you know. There's a giant frozen lake that starts to melt that creates you know almost like it almost like uh, reminded me of Total Recall where the they jam this thing down into the into Mars, and it starts to create an atmosphere. It's almost like this this capsule was designed to come here, and it left me with the feeling, you know, once all these things start happening, of course, the the politicians and scientists get involved, and they say, oh, we got to get out of here. This thing's getting ready to, you know, go nuclear. It's going to explode. We got to get out of it. We're going to die. But it's almost like the thing was set up to, for us to go and get in it and kind of stay in it. Yeah, and then you know, one of the things. Again, I'm hitting the cloister bell a lot today, but <laughs> no, I like that interpretation. This this uh, this vessel in this story seems to be carrying. Now, this is my again. Again, this is my head cannon, my interpretation of this. And again, this is one of those stories that your imagination can run wild, and you can have a completely different take on this. But it seemed to me that the vessel, the the world, the traveling world, uh, addresses. Technologies that we're almost looking at now, where you know we're looking at the ramifications and the morality of some of these uh, uh, ramifications. Yeah, ramifications. Thank you <laughs> for the ding there. But uh, we're we're talking about now where could we scan a human brain, take all the information from it, and store it digitally? Now, in my own head, canon, my own head, uh, my own imagination told me that, you know, this is a thing, yes, you can't survive a million years in space, it's too cold, you know, absolute zero, and why not, but what if you could create this moving world that would at some point, when it got near to heat and energy and resources, turn on and start creating, you know, the little crabs, again, the, you know, the little creatures it starts creating with the ocean and whatnot, but would not Rama eventually have created intelligent beings manufacture them and then maybe they could stick a Paul Alvey's mindset or you know a Professor Allen Middleton yeah, a Sir Jimmy I'd into these uh, created bodies 
And even, I'm, I, I'm saying that I, I, I like to read a lot of science stuff because I'm a nerd. And they're talking about the morality of that now where you could, could you store someone's personality? Like the, all the information they have in their brain stored chemically and, you know, elect, uh, electrically and chemically like we do in our brains. Could you, if you could scan that, if you could scan Paul Alves or Professor Allen Middleton and store them digitally, could you not maybe one day, I don't know, thousands of years from now, create a body and put that Alan Middleton persona into it? And what's the morality of that? And I think in my own headcanon, that's what the, this thing was heading towards, where it got to, you know, near the solar system or got near a sun, had enough energy, and it could just, all the people that launched this thing could be recreated a million years later in a more friendly atmosphere because maybe their solar system was getting screwed up and you know maybe they had uh, a war or maybe their star died and they figured this out yeah like the cartoon with the Marvin the Martian where he just adds water to these little pills and (laughs) (laughs) I mean you know a lot a lot of sci-fi in terms of you know this you know we talk about you know freezing that's you know one one idea is right. you know you freeze the body and then in a few hundred years when when we've solved the the medical situation you know we thaw you out and 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 cure you and to some extent I think that that may have been what was going on here through the trip through through the trip through space you know at absolute zero you know maybe you know that's the the concept was the Ramans. They were they were frozen. I like that you know when they got close to the sun, whether that was whether that was the intentional the, yeah, the trigger, yeah, uh, the intentional, yeah, the destination, or just whenever they got close enough to a sun, dark. Uh, there are enough. I, you know, I think good science fiction asks questions and leaves the reader with questions as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, this was fun. Uh, can I play a little clip here? Because uh, the narrators are Peter Ganim and Robert J. Sawyer, who I believe, I could be wrong, has been a guest on the Book Eyes show and or a, uh, a contributor as far as narration. Uh, I'm going to play a little clip here right off Audible. Folks, this is one take. We don't edit. <laughs> the extraordinary meeting of the Space Advisory That's Peter Council. Ganim was brief and stormy. Even by the 22nd century, no way had yet been discovered of keeping elderly and conservative scientists from occupying crucial administrative positions. Indeed, it was doubted if the problem ever would be solved. To make matters worse, the current chairman of SAC was Professor Emeritus Olaf Davidson, the distinguished astrophysicist. Professor Davidson was not much interested in objects smaller than galaxies and never bothered to conceal his prejudices. And though he had to admit that 90% of his science was now based upon observations from space-borne instruments, he was not at all happy about it. So I'm going to cut off right there, but Peter Ganim, great narrator. What did you think, uh, Sir Jimmy? I was trying to think of two words to describe his voice, and one of them was antiseptic. 
and the okay. other one uh, I can't I can't put my finger on, but uh, come back to me because I yeah, very, very, it was it was very documentary like, which I, I I think added to the story because it was kind of like a documentary of this thing this Rama was coming. Uh, yes, I, he, he, he seems like he is in control of the information and, and he yeah. is disseminating it to you now. So shut up and listen. Right. Uh, I'm going to correct myself. He was not a guest or narrator on Book Eyes Show, but we talked about Wake, Watch, and Wonder. Right. His trilogy of fantastic. You know what? That's how close I felt to him You know, from enjoying that trilogy that I thought he had been on the show, but he hasn't been yet. Um, but I thought it was great. Great book. Three thumbs up. Absolutely. Yes. And the, I, I can't remember the next book. It, it may be the next. There's Rama Revealed. There's the Garden of Rama. And just, just seeing the title, Garden of Rama, that, that's maybe what's in my head. And I can't, re- I can't even remember what happened in the subsequent books. Because, and I'm going back and going through the entire series right now. I, I can't stop at this you'll, point. You'll have to excuse me, but, Sir Jimmy, because I'm just typing into my phone here that there's a whole Rama series. Oh yes. How did I miss all these authors? When you hear Garden of Rama, Christ. well, that makes you think, oh gosh, you know, if they stayed inside the Tootsie Roll and they let the sun do its thing and the oceans melted, you know, a bunch of seeds are going to pop up and they're going to have corn on the cob here if they only had like ninety <laughs> days to stay inside. <laughs> it was it. It was not intended to be a series. The second one is about fifteen, sixteen years after the first one, written fifteen or sixteen years after the first one. Fantastic, uh, but then they, but then they, uh, they've cranked out a, a couple of them since then. Yeah, Arthur C. Clarke. I mean, this is a guy who pretty much either invented or uh, predicted the satellite which controls our daily lives, amongst right. other things. Absolutely. Two thousand one, of course. Uh, we couldn't function yeah. oh, without yeah. the satellites right now. I mean, our, our whole society would break down <laughs> at some level. I I know many people who would break down. Yes, if they yes, could, if, uh, if they couldn't watch their Oprah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now let's go through. Well, maybe we'll go one at a time. If there's any other books that we've read since our hiatus, we like to call it. Uh, one I've read, narrated by Will Patton, uh, by Stephen King, is Doctor Sleep. Doctor Sleep, a novel. The uh, sequel to The Shining. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, big fan of The Shining. I think it's one of Stephen King's best works. And uh, we don't follow- you think sometimes you should let some things just just be? But how how did he do picking up the story? What thirty, forty years later? He he did very well. And we continue and we meet. Uh, we we re uh, re uh, visit the the child in The Shining. And he also has the Shinnin, as they say on The Simpsons. Why is it the Shinnin, Willie? Because if we said Shinnin, we'd get sued. So uh, he, has the, he has the Shinnin as well. And uh, it, it's a completely different story uh, with a lot of references back to the Shining story that happened at the hotel. Uh, lots of fun. I'm going to revisit that one next book I show with a little bit more prep. But uh, I highly recommend, if you're a fan of The Shining, uh, check out Dr. Sleep. Professor Allen, anything new on your uh, red list? Well, I've got a handful. You think I said it's been a little while since we've recorded. And in that time, I have to say, I have been a very good book guy. 
Oh, I've got I've got three here to talk about, and each one has a connection to our little show. Give me a genre and see if I can hit the jingle. Uh, uh d- detective, just d- d- uh, fiction. Hit it. Uh, fiction, 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 fiction. There we go. Uh, well, I'm about uh, uh, three quarters of the way through Shadow Legion: New Roads to Hell oh. by Thomas DJ, friend of the book guys. Ninety three, and then uh, you go. Uh, we. You might want to go with uh, books uh, on TV and film. Books? Are you talking about books on film and television? Good God. I, I am. I have no idea where any of the jingles are as far books as... Books on film <laughs> and television. That's and impressive. tune in for more exciting television. There you go. Close enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, I read uh, Frozen Heat, which is a detective novel based on the characters from the TV show Castle. Nice. And I listened to the audio, which was performed by friend of the book guys, Johnny Heller. No way. Good old Johnny. He's got that great New York voice. It's yeah, he's from New York. Series. New York. Yeah, he's, he's read all of them in this. This is the fourth in that series, and he's he's read all four of them for the audio, and it's it's great. And then, uh, lastly, I've just started, and maybe a quarter of quarter of the way through with the novel "The Silent Partner" by Terrence King. Uh, Paul, you and I talked to Terry briefly off the air at one point. I know we're trying to schedule him. Yeah, for a uh, guest January by at the some way. Point. January. Yeah, great. So I've been trying. I've been trying to uh, read book guys related material, and of course, I've read some comic books. Oh, nice. Uh, so Jimmy, what do you got? Uh, I, I just uh, let's see here. I got. Uh, I don't know why I'm 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 looking at this stuff here, but I just came across this old bumper when I was looking through my iPad, and I just feel like I have to play it. Hey, everyone. This is Veronica Belmont from the Sword and Laser Show at swordandlaser.com, and you are listening to All Talk 24-7 Books at alltalk247.com. <laughs> nice. Oh, wait. No, I, I, she, hers was better by her. <laughs> she, she turned the perky up. <laughs> I, you, you guys got to do a group, that, a group one now. <laughs> suck it, Trebek. Suck it long, suck it hard. <laughs> suck it, Trebek. There's your bumper. <laughs> <laughs> I'll... That was fun when we had uh, Tom and Veronica on. Suck it long, suck it hard. I know what you were thinking, Paul, because Robert J. Sawyer has been a guest on their show. There you go. Yes. It's incestuous. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I've got uh, two other books that I've that I've uh, completed here um, during the holiday season with all the travels to and from West Virginia, from North Carolina, and and. I, I I was like a third of the way through a book called Desperate Passage, The Donner Party's Perilous Journey West by Ethan uh-huh. Rarick. And, you know, typically when I'm listening to a book like this, I would I would have on my headphones and be driving. And uh, uh, I started the book off and, you know, we were in an area where nobody was getting any Internet. So the whole family was kind of like, oh. Well, no, no, no. Go ahead, go ahead and play that, play that. And I was like telling them what the book is about, and they were like, 
<laughs> well, we can stomach it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, we continued on with the book, and, I mean, it is about the Donner Party. For anybody who doesn't know, this is uh, back in the time where America was expanding westward and families were packing up, selling everything they had, right. you know, buying horses and a and – a, Ma- um, Making a very good bet on the new world because – Really, I mean, uh, folks that came to America early on, those are the founding families. Those that did well. Absolutely, and and people wanted more. That you know, that was the spirit. So, you know, people wanted to move out. They they heard dreams of California, and and then it wasn't even it wasn't even gold that was driving people out. There was just land in the Pacific Ocean. Yeah, and, lots of cheap know, land. Yeah. You know, untold riches and, you know, adventure. And this this family here was one of, you know, maybe 80 that had grouped together, um, 80 different families, not 80 people, who were grouped together to, you know, make the passage from St. Louis, um, you know, westward across the plains. You know, this is like the first time these people had seen an area that didn't have trees. And then they come up to the Rocky Mountains. Right. And right. this particular family had had read a book by a guy who talked about a shortcut to get over the Rocky Mountains. And uh, from what it turns out, you know, unbeknownst to these people, this guy had never even crossed the Rocky Mountains. And this <laughs> was a lie. And uh, But theoretically, it, caused, it would have been a great shortcut. It would, Yes, it would have. But these guys, <laughs> you know, they got caught. Winter came in. Um, all these families had to hunker down for the winter. You know, they. Uh, it turns out they. You know, they're starving. They're. Um, they're. They resort to eating their shoes, their shoelaces, right. then their horses, <laughs> then their dogs, and uh, eventually it all goes downhill from there. It goes down for hell from there, <laughs> and they eat what's available. Um, there's all sorts of uh, uh, different opinions on what really happened, but there. You know, there's some tales of heroism. Some people who uh, who venture out through. I mean, they're. We're talking about thirty feet of snow, and these people making their own snowshoes out of out of trees and things that they had, scraps of this and that. You know, people making a trek for three weeks westward, and you know, trying to gather help and get people right. to come back and save these people. People dying, you know, people being eaten. Um, Wilderness, very interesting book, captivating. Um, I recommend it. You know, if for nothing. If you, you know, you got, you know, first world problems like you're, you know, you got a new iPhone 5 and now you've only got one freaking lightning charger and all these other chargers you got ain't <laughs> worth anything. First you know, world. If, if that's where you're at, this yeah. book will really ground you. That's a great Reddit, by the way, subreddit. Reddit.com slash r slash first world problems. Absolutely. Uh, Desperate you- passage. Thanks to our, our friends at Brilliance Audio who, um, you know, are, I found out are actually affiliated with our friends at Audible, our great friends and sponsors. And who, they, by, um, by the way, Sir Jimmy, finally have started sending me MP3 uh, books. MP3 so, books are awesome. That makes I mean, sense. I throw it in your car or, you know, your if you've got a Walkman or your laptop and, and when you when you stop playing it, it starts back right where it was. You know, every yeah. time I get in my truck, you know, I've got a... A 2013 Escape, you, you throw the CD in, you've only got one CD for the whole book, exactly. and then you get out, you get back in, and it starts up again. It remembers where it is, so it's not really it, – it's it's almost like having an iPod. 
And now that you've reminded me, Sir Jimmy, I have a uh, an app pick for the folks at home. Uh, since I started getting the MP3 CDs, the you know the promos they send us, the pre copies. Sometimes folks we get to listen to audiobooks maybe a month, sometimes a week, two weeks before they come out for the general uh, populace. Uh, MP3 CDs. I plug them into my Mac. I push all the files over onto my HTC One. And I use Smart Audiobook Player. And the only thing that makes this app, which is free, by the way, you can get it free. There's also a paid version. The thing that makes the things great is because it's just as good as the audiobook player on the iPhone. Because one of my favorite parts, uh, favorite things about the uh, audiobook playback on an Apple iPhone is that it has this smart feature where if I just listened to the audiobook 10 minutes ago and I resume it, it goes back about 20 seconds. Yeah, that's good. It gives you a little refresher. Right. A little refresher. If, Sir Jimmy, I, pause, I haven't read an audiobook in about four days, it actually goes back maybe half a chapter. If I resume that's the audio... intelligent. Right. If I, if I uh, haven't uh, listened to an audiobook in three weeks, it goes back two chapters. So it's smart about how far back it should go to remind me. I, you know, like, I like that. It's a great feature. And Smart Audiobook Player, which is free on the Google Store, uh, mimics the better qualities of the, the iPhone uh, anyways. And uh, here, speaking of... Paul, let me ask you, is, is this Mac only? Is this Android? Is this iOS? Uh, smart. Uh, first of all, iOS, use the stock player. Use what comes with your iPhone. It's just as smart. Uh, it is a very smart audiobook player. But if you're on Android and you're looking to get some of those uh, you know, iOS features, smart audiobook player, it's free. You can get the paid version. I have no idea what the paid version has above this because I, I haven't had to pay for it. But uh, as far as a story that sticks with you, uh, this is one. I'm going to try to play this without getting too loud. There we go. I was very interested in uh, Canadian astronaut Chris Hadfield, who has become an internet sensation. <laughs> and after reading the book, I know it's because of his son, who is a uh, social media expert, <laughs> as far as like, like we are, and enticed him to do all this stuff on social media, on the SoundCloud and Twitter and all that. And uh, Chris did get permission, by the way, folks, now that we know. From Bowie to do the Space Oddity um, cover. So I read it's about eight, it's almost nine hours audiobook. An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth by Chris Hadfield. And he talks about his getting into the CSA, which is uh, our Canadian version of the NASA, Canadian Space Agency. All the training he has to do. And, you know, some of these guys train for like 30 years and never go into space. You know, and they, they consider their job as being the training. That is their job. And and Chris really gives you a really good behind-the-scenes look at what it's like to be an astronaut in a Soyuz capsule in on the space shuttle, controlling the Canadarm uh, while you're on a space shuttle mission, doing an EVA, extravehicular activity. And uh, he talks about one where he had to leave the space station and do uh, you know go outside in a, in a spacesuit 
And you would think, oh, uh, you know, you can do it in, a, in an hour or 20 minutes. They usually train for months to go outside for an hour. So for them, you know, training within one day to go out for half an hour is a big deal. Like, it's never been done before, right? <laughs> and you learn about life on the space shuttle. And he tells you all about, like, does it stink up there? How do you poo? How do you pee? How do you eat? How do you get back home? You know, what's a fire like on the space station? Uh, fantastic. I mean, if you're interested at all in space and the reality, not, not fiction, not science fiction, the reality of people in space, he really gives you a great, great uh, overview of what it's like. And he talks about the families of uh, astronauts and, you know, launching the ship. What's it like to be in a ship that's launching into space? What's it like to be on the space, uh, space shuttle or the, you know, the space station for months on end or weeks on end? What's the toll on your body? It's fantastic. Uh, you know, and he, he's so, uh, I mean, he's currently an astronaut and he's been up there recently. So he talks about, you know, now that there's no space shuttle program, dealing with the Russians, you know, and their traditions. And he lived in Russia. Fantastic read. If you, you know, enjoy space at all, real space, not science fiction, An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth by Chris Hadfield, uh, narrated by Chris Hadfield. And uh, the audio is a bit tinny on his narration, but I guess they forgave him. For all I know, he doesn't uh, say it, not not that I can remember, he doesn't say he narrated on the space station, but who knows, he might have. Uh, But you know, it's got that like, you know when he stops talking and the hiss goes down, it's obviously been audio corrected afterwards. He's obviously not in a studio. He, he did this probably on the space station or, you know, in his living room. But it's so great hearing it from his own uh, perspective because he gets those giggles once in a while. Because he was there, you know, and he'll be talking. <laughs> he just giggles. Almost to the point where you think he's, you know, he smoked some dope or something. You know? he's, he's so giggly about some of these things. But he's, he was there. It's him. And I forgave all the audio... Um, just all the audio, hiccups. yeah, the hiccups and the low quality of the audio, just because it's so much worth it having him narrate himself and, and giggling at the certain points that uh, you forgive all the uh, audio infidelity is the word I was looking for. Uh, great. Love it. An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth by Chris Hadfield. A uh, huge recommendation. Love it. Now, Professor what Allen. What else you got, Professor? Professor Allen, we might have to take a quick break because we're almost at the half mark and I'm speaking very slowly just so I can (laughs) find a... Here we go. I am Alec Barrett from DrWhoSociety.com You are listening to The Book Guy Show. Continue or you will be exterminated. And Guy Gardner is a douche. Uh, especially Guy Gardner, who was being a bit of a douchebag, but uh, he wasn't really listening. That's Guy's like that. thing. <laughs> yeah, but... That, that's his other superpower. <laughs> Speaking of Guy Gardner, page 19, I resent the brain damage comment. He was just a character I found extremely grating. Wow, the internet seems to be filled with people who really can't stand the character of Guy Gardner. I mean... To some extent, they have a point. I mean, they'd read the character like I have, his adventures with the cores, his solo comic run, whatever. Maybe they'd have a little more appreciation for him. I mean, 
there needs to be more guy love on the internet. Uh, maybe not that kind of guy love. Regardless, there still has to be a way that a middle-aged man like myself, with a love of comic books, should be able to present a defense for an underrated character. If he built it, they will come. What was that? If he built it, they will come. Okay, strange disembodied voice. That's a great idea, but I really don't see how building a baseball field and a little bit of cornfield will help with matters. I mean, I think there aren't any cornfields near here, especially once they're the owner who let me build a baseball field in. Plus, Guy was more of a football player and... No, no, no. <sighs> Look, no speaks metaphorically. What I meant by Bill is... Oh, maybe make a podcast about it? Well, that's an even better idea. And it's a lot easier, given my farming and athletic abilities. I can recount all the appearances of Guy in comics, I can focus on his solo run, I could give detailed plans of his bar, and... Hold on, hold on, hold on, champ, champ. You really want people to actually listen to the podcast, don't you? Well, yeah. So why not start with the 1990s Queen's Internet and continue on to the Reaper? That's an even better idea. I could cover the Guy Gardner solo series along the way, and also put up for a defense my second favorite GL, Kyle Rayner. Plus, really, these are the two Earth-based Green Lanterns. For whatever reason, they're really overlooked in the mass media. Plus, I've got a nearly complete runs of both series. Wow. Thanks, strange disembodied voice. No problem. Now, let's go let's kill President Nixon. Um, you do know that Nixon has been dead for well over a decade. Well, how about some brownies? Mmm, that sounds great. I love some good brownies, especially the one with the chocolate frosting on top. Or have you ever had blondies? Those are even better. I had one of those at church. Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, is a weekly internet radio show covering the Green Lantern comics, starting with Green Lantern number 1 in 1990 and ending with Green Lantern number 181 in 2004. During the run, I will be placing a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, my two favorite and the most underappreciated members of the Green Lantern Corps. Along the way, I'll be covering the Guy Gardner comic run, some Green Lantern annuals, and whatever else takes my interest at the time. Come listen along with me, Sean Ingold, as I make the case for the Green Lanterns who deserve a better reputation at justoneoftheguys.lipson.com. guys and we're back Book guys hey professor allen sir yeah. jimmy might want to take a break here because i got a nerd out on the day of the doctor uh we haven't had time to talk about it we haven't done a show since uh the big 50th anniversary special an hour and some odd i know they made a record they got a uh actually the day after they were presented a guinness book of world records uh award for the biggest simulcast of a TV show in history. This was huge. And the Day of the Doctor was in uh, hundreds of countries on uh, in 3D, in movie theaters, uh, broadcast, simulcast on television, of course, BBC America, BBC Canada, BBC everywhere. And it was fun. <laughs> How'd you like it, yeah. Professor? I think it did exactly what a celebration like this is supposed to do and that is focused on what was good about the show and it really was a celebration yeah they they didn't look too much backwards 
they did respect uh, the you know the classic series. They went back in time, and and you know we did get uh, spoil. You know what? Just stop listening to the book guys show if you haven't watched it yet. Yeah, for there, Christ's there, sake. there are no spoilers at this point. No, it's, there's it's, no. It's it's well well established. But um, if 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 you care, you've seen it. If you don't care, you're Jimmy. Right. So so not only do we have all twelve, no, sir, thirteen. All thirteen doctors, his complete life cycle were represented in this uh, special. Uh, they didn't focus on the classic doctors. Uh, and I, I know some people thought, you know, well, we got to have all the old doctors. No, you can't. You know what? It would be, a, it would be such a shoehorn to shoehorn in all these guys who are now like, you know, you know, 200 pounds overweight and look different and explaining why they look different and why they look 30 years older would be would have been stupid. That would have been dumb. But, they but we sh- got the one that mattered. That's right. We did get Tom. We got, the, we got the one that mattered most. We'll talk about that in a bit. Well, let's leave that to the end, Professor Allen, because uh, I've had some discussions on Reddit. Uh, I am Paul the Book Guy on Reddit, by the way, folks, if you want to yell at me. Paul the Book Guy on Reddit. <laughs> User Paul the Book Guy. You find me. You know, everyone line. I'm Paul the Book Guy. I have nothing to hide. But um, either we had a great story. We got uh, – it starts off with Moffat wanting to get uh, – he wanted to get Chris Eggleston back. Uh, Chris Eggleston didn't like the, the script for whatever reason, and he's kind of a douchebag, I think, um, regardless. <laughs> okay. and uh, now, You know, I can't I, – but, you know, as, uh, I have to give Eggleston and Russell T. Davis – all the credit in the world because without them, absolutely, we wouldn't have been here with a 50th. So I'm absolutely, I, I will not allow any negative comments to be said about either one. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but I, I still think he's a douche for not returning for this, uh, the longest running show on television for not, you know, reprising his role. But whatever, okay, he didn't like the script, whatever. But uh, in the end, Moffat said, you know what, maybe it's better he didn't return because as we well, first time we see Chris Eccleston in uh. Series one, epi- uh, what is it? Season twenty-seven. Uh, he's obviously freshly regenerated because he looks in the mirror in Rose's apartment, <laughs> and you know he's looking at his ears, and he goes, "Oh, for fuck's sake, why why do I have these big ears?" I just made the show explicit. Sorry, folks, but uh, you know he's obviously clearly just became Chris Eccleston. Hasn't looked at himself before because he's looking in the, in the mirror like, "Wow, wow, look at those ears!" For Christ's sake. Um, and uh, even Moffat said, "There's no way we could have uh, cast this or filmed this without making Chris Eccleston having been fresh in in Rose, episode one." Nah, I mean he actually could have done it, of course, because of timey wimey, wibbly wobbly. But yeah. that's a good cover story, and yeah. I I I, I, I I like the introduction of John Hurt, and uh, even even Moffat has said it's a it's an homage, it's respect to all the years. The 15 years that the BBC cancelled Doctor Who, we're never going to learn all about those 15 years because uh, John Hurt, the 8.5 Doctor, represents those years that we lost as fans. And that whole time war represents that those lost years. I thought that was great. And they brought in John Hurt. And is he not such a brilliant actor? Now, let, me, let, let me run this theory by you, Paul. Okay. We had talked about in talking... Our official book guy position was that he's going to be awesome, yep. but he's not going to be as popular, especially with the fangirls. 
right. with that young person contingent. We're talking about Capaldi. I Sorry, think. you cut out there for a second. Capaldi, yeah. I was going to say, you know, Capaldi's going to be great, but he might not be as popular. Right. That was sort of our theory. He doesn't have the matinee good looks. Right. He's, but I, I think part of the genius in casting John Hurt and making him such a great character in in the 50th was comparison Capaldi's younger than that yes and I I think that's actually going to smooth the transition to Capaldi because we had the biggest audience ever who saw that an older doctor and they gave him some good lines you know awesome they they gave him some good lines you know like do you always act like children you know and and, and he really (laughs) ribbed them about being so young and you know, enthusiastic. And why are you ashamed to be an adult? Was one of my the, the my favorite line in the whole show. And they look at him like, "You killed all our people, you asshole!" Like, why do you think we're ashamed to be a grown up? Right? But I think I think in the meta context, in terms of fans, yes, I think that's going to help ease people into the concept. Uh, and I, and I think Peter Capaldi is going to get an extra look that he yeah. might not have gotten. Yeah. Now, for, for anyone who thinks that... So I'm encouraged by that. You're right. And you know what? For anyone who thinks that, oh, no, Peter Capaldi will never be popular with the girls, you know, that's one of the, the big things they did with, with the doctor coming back is the, the show is so popular now with young teenagers, a female and male, uh, and, and we've uh, the show has brought in a lot of uh, young females because they think the doctor's hot. But you know what? Doctor Who has been appealing to everyone for the longest time, for fifty years, and I, I just got—I just got, Sir Jamie. I just got your text message there. Sir Jamie's falling asleep. But <laughs> if you want to think about, oh, oh Peter Capaldi's not going to be popular with the girls and the children. You know, I was worried about the children, whatever. Look back at William Hartnell, the first Doctor in in the nineteen sixties, and how popular he was with every denomination every age range i mean uh william hartnell used to visit hospitals dressed as the doctor and there would be tons of children around him uh he'd be walking down the street and and young ladies 15 years old will come up to him and ask for his autograph it's not about being this hot guy on the show you can always introduce a turlo or someone a, a companion that's hot bring captain jack back you know, you don't necessarily have to have the doctor be this hot, young-looking guy to make the show appeal to to you know young ladies and young men, because he's always got the you know and cinder, uh, the incidental characters around him, the companions. You know, I'm not watching Doctor Who because I think Matt Smith's hot. You know, I'm watching Martha Jones or Rose. You know, or Amy Pond. Amy Pond, who has legs that just keep going and going and going. Oh, Ginger Lover. You know, so to say that oh, all the women are going to stop watching Doctor Who is bollocks. I'm not watching Doctor Who to look at, you know, Matt Smith's crotch, for Christ's sake. You know, people are, they're wrong. Peter Capaldi is going to be fantastic. And I really hope, Professor Allen, for no particular reason, that he's allowed the first swear in Doctor Who. <laughs> at least a fuckity buy. If you've ever watched Peter Capaldi <laughs> in any of his previous. Go to Netflix and and uh, go, uh, not Google Netflix, Peter Capaldi, and just watch one of his movies or two. He can swear 
more entertainingly than uh, you know Gordon, Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> He's brilliant at it. When I, when I first saw his eyes show up on the on the fiftieth, I thought, please, one swear, fuck it, he buy. He's gonna be brilliant. Just saying. I have high hopes. So let's finish it off because Sir Jimmy's falling asleep. We don't want him to fall totally asleep. Oh my god. The big Doctor thing. Who? The big thing in, in in Day of the Doctor was, of course, Tom Baker showing up. As himself, well, not as himself, but you know, uh, not as a voiceover or digitally recreated. Tom Baker proper shows up as the curator, who apparently is a retired doctor who now takes care of the museum in London. And I've had arguments on Reddit about this. Uh, it looks like when Queen Elizabeth asks him to take <laughs> care of the the museum. He does return, retires the TARDIS. If you notice in the scene with him and Matt Smith, there are TARDIS, the TARDIS there's a TARDIS wall behind them. Mm-hmm. So the fan, fan theory is that the museum, uh, what's it called? I don't even know what it's called down there in London. But the museum beneath the Tower of London is the TARDIS, retired. And he's there not only curating all these weapons and paintings, Gallifreyan paintings, but He's retired. He's done. He's done being the doctor, fixing the universe, you know, fixing the timelines, stopping the wars. He's now curating the universe, making sure that the timeline stays the way it is. Everything's cool. And I think that's great to know that this hero, this uh, protagonist, at some point does get to freaking retire and enjoy his time on it. I love it. Um. I had a lot of arguments on Reddit about this, and I, I, I said, you know, Tom Baker makes it. He even says, "We, you're going to be revisiting some faces in the future." One of them being Capaldi, because of course Capaldi has been on Doctor exactly. Who twice. He's been on Doctor Who as the family that that um, Donna Noble entices exactly. the Doctor to save. Right, Promise. that's a yeah. huge moment in his life where this human companion said, "No, you can't stop." this devastation, but can you at least save one family? It wouldn't change the world. Save this one family. That's very, probably one of the most emotional scenes in New Doctor Who ever, where he actually stops and yes, he, you know what? He can't save everyone in Pompeii because it would change the universe, it would rip apart the world, whatever. But he does save this one family. Uh, also, he's the prick in uh, Torchwood, Miracle Day, I believe it was. Uh, Children of Earth. Children of Earth, yes, yes. Miracle Day sucked. Children of Earth was great. Uh, yeah, he's the prick uh, politician in uh, Children of Earth. So he'll be revisiting you, that you face. Could have just said, you, you could have just said politician. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's synonymous. But uh, Tom Baker infers in that scene that not only are you going to be revisiting this, a few faces you're going to be revisiting in the, in the future, right? So meaning that at some point you're going to take on the Tom Baker persona again same as the fourth doctor and you'll age because you're retired you're not fighting you know enemies so he, he might have showed up at elizabeth the first of course he's going to show up at, looking like david Tennant, because that's who elizabeth <laughs> thinks she she married right and then he might just regenerate into tom baker and keep going and i think that whole scene was kept vague because the curator can't be very specific with the doctor because that'll change the timeline so he has to say, who knows, who knows, who knows. 
And then I stumbled upon, I had not read, again, this is the book guys show, science fiction Are you again. Sure? This is. I stumbled upon Professor Allen, and this is a great read. It's two hour audiobook on Audible trial.com slash book guys summer falls official bbc audiobook which oh, is wow. written by amelia williams <laughs> that's amy pond after she marries rory williams these are two fictional characters so it's written by fictional character amelia williams as a fiction story about uh, i'm not going to spoil it it's a great story that um features a character called the curator who happens to have a red and white striped tent uh, if you remember Tom Baker and Lala Ward they had that tent featured I think twice in the series in the 1980s and he's the curator of a small museum somewhere and he happens to have this he says I have a magical shed that's stuck inside the, the tent there it's under repair so the story basically tells the tale of the curator and his curly hair, and it's totally Tom Baker. If you, if you read the story, that's the future doctor right there. And uh, I, would, I love it. I'd posit from this that it's now canon that Amelia Williams, the fictional uh, companion of the doctor, at some point, even though she's trapped and you know they're in the 50s, right? They're stuck in the 50s. Uh, and the story takes place in the 50s. We take from this that she has met the retired doctor and her publishing this fictional book is her way of telling the doctor that she's all right. And not only that is she all right. And so is Rory, but they've met him in his retired self. So I'm, I'm calling it Canon professor Allen. Anyone else that wants to argue with me on Reddit, bring it on. Paul, the book guy in Reddit, the uh, curator. You, you, so you know who else was excited by this? Not just by the 50th, but by some of the events leading up to it was our good friend Nick Briggs. Yes. Who is basically all of his work has now become canon thanks uh, to a five-minute short featuring Paul McGann. Well, you know, Professor Allen, according to our interview with him, and according to BBC, Big Finish has been canon, part of the Doctor Who universe since 1999. But. But now it's... Super canon. This, I think this. <laughs> yeah. This sealed it. So I, I love that part. Uh, I love the character, Sir Jimmy, because you know what? One of the great things about the curator character is he becomes like a Yoda. I mean, he can't tell the doctor what to do because he's the future retired doctor. But not only seeing Tom Baker, and uh, that's uh, that character was obviously the fourth doctor reincarnate. He maybe had, he did about seven gestures, uh, used about six or seven, uh, you know, statements that, that the fourth doctor would do. That was obviously the fourth doctor re re regenerated. But now you have this thing where now you can bring back older doctors. Like I know David Tennant was a big fan, and he probably had a hand in creating that what what they call it Metacrisis doctor that could age. The guy who went to the uh, you know parallel universe with Rose, right? Because David Tennant's a fan. He knows you know what. In thirty years, he wants to come back to the show, and now he can because he could be the older Meta Crisis Doctor, Matt Smith. If uh, rumors uh, here, spoiler. If the rumors about the Christmas special are right, then Matt Smith will age 
hundreds of years in the Christmas special, and the doctor, when he does die and regenerate, will be much older, and they're going to do aging, makeup effects, whatever. And that, again, Matt Smith, having become a recent Doctor Who fan since he took on the part, that gives him an excuse how he can come back in 20 years or 10 years or 30 years, aged, because the doctor will age in that episode. And now the curator is the most genius character ever in Doctor Who. Thank you, Stephen Moffat. That means that, okay, just because he looks like Tom Baker in the Day of the Doctor, well, when he dies as Tom Baker, he could revisit another face. He could be Colin Baker or Peter Davison or Matt Smith. Or I, I, I like that after 50 years, they're still coming up with new ideas. I think it's brilliant, uh, Preston, because you know what? In 20 years or 10 years or five years, Peter Davison could be the curator in a story. This, this is permanently gave a, a reason for or an excuse for any actor that used to play the doctor to come back aged, you know, a little bit fatter. We all get fatter and older and wrinklier as we go. But now you can have Peter Davison come back in five years or you could have Matt Smith or anyone, Paul McGann. And not only except, that, except Eccleston. Yeah, he, he he'll probably come back sometime. He will. <laughs> he will. You know what? When the money runs out, when he's is tired of doing crappy GI Joe movies, he's going to need some some money. He'll be doing some big finish stuff. But uh, it's going to be fun. You know, Tom Baker is Doctor Who to me. And if it wasn't for my memories of Tom Baker and the scarf and the trash can with the toilet plunger. The, then Doctor Who doesn't exist. Exactly, exactly. Let me see if I can. <laughs> let me see if I can bring up the audio, the curator scene. I, I'm going to play it audio wise. Here we go. Screw it. Tom, Tom Baker is going to be 80 next month, guys. I need to get him in there while they can. Absolutely. Uh, bring it on. Here we go. No, oh, I, I, you know, I got to turn it up a bit. BBC is nice. They've never had a problem with us playing clips, so here we go. I could be a curator. I'd be great at curating. I'd be the great curator. That's Matt Smith. <laughs> I could retire and do that. I could retire and be the curator of this place. Oh. You know, I really think you might. And this is where I fell off my chair. Me too. And Matt Smith is recognizing his previous self. And there's Tom Baker. I never forget a face. I know you don't. And in years to come, you might find yourself revisiting a few, not just the old favorites, eh? You were curious about this painting, I think. I acquired it in remarkable circumstances. What do you make of the title? Well, which title this too? No more. Oh, Gallifrey Falls. Oh, you see, that's where everybody's wrong. It's all one title. Gallifrey Falls, no more. Now, what would you think that means? The Gallifrey didn't fall. It worked. It's still out there. I'm only a humble curator. I'm sure I wouldn't doubt. Then where is it? Where is it indeed? Yes. Lost. Shh. Perhaps things do get lost, you know. 
Now you must excuse me. Oh, you have a lot to do. Do I? Mm. Is that what I'm supposed to do now? Go looking for Gallifrey? Well, it's entirely up to you. Your choice. Eh? I can only tell you what I would do. If I were you... Oh, if I were you... <laughs> oh, perhaps I was you, of course. <laughs> oh, perhaps you are me. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you very much. Or perhaps it doesn't matter either way. Who knows? Who knows? He even touches his nose. Come on, that's the fourth. <laughs> that was great. And he walks away, and of course you have the, the TARDIS roundels in the, in the wall in the background. Uh, I think, Professor Allen, sorry, Sir Jimmy, we're going to get back to books. But uh, this also <laughs> opens up. Revisiting old faces also gives us hope. Us fans of the Big Finish Audios and one of my favorite doctors of all time, Paul McGann, who had that shitty Fox movie. He really got a tough break on that. It was a crappy movie. But has been one of the most brilliant doctors through the audios that maybe after Capaldi... I know I know, McGann is 50-ish now, but didn't he look great in that little mini-episode when he said, you know, uh, I am the doctor, but not probably not the one you expected? Doesn't that, li- that line of, in the future, you'll be re- revisiting many of your faces... If Capaldi, when he does his two, three-year run, regenerates into Paul McGann, I think you'd have millions of of Doctor Who fans just saying, thank God we're going to see him on TV. Putting it out there, boys. Putting it out there. That would be great. I'd love it. All right, Sir Jimmy, we're done. We're done with the Doctor Who. And we're at about an hour mark. You know what that means. Oh, it means this. Yeah. Day of the Doctor. The time of the Doctor coming on Christmas. I love the Doctor Who Christmas special better than Christmas. Guys, thank you so much. What time are we going to be back? Same book time. Same book channel. It's almost like we planned that. (laughs) Book readers and book listeners. Book Guys show will return next week. Same book time. Same book channel. Thank you.